Good morning, Awakening family. How's it going? Just Jacob over there? Just the one kid? Come on, good morning. Well, how's it going? Okay, that was a little better. I think that um, you should know me. My name is Michael. Uh, not that you should already know me, uh, but I think you, I would like to introduce myself to you. I am Michael Gilmore, and uh, apparently I am the youth pastor here. Uh, this has all happened pretty quick, and I'm uh, happy to be up here to share myself and share my passion for youth ministry and uh, some of the verses that define my philosophy of youth ministry. Before we get to that, I think we need to have some fun together, right? None of you want to have, just like three of you, yeah? All right, well, stand up, because we're going to have a rock, paper, scissors tournament real quick here. So turn to a neighbor, you're going to do round two, three, shoot, two out of three, and when you win, go find someone else. If you lose, sit down back in your seat, ready, go. All right, who, who do we have left? If you're still, if you find someone else, find someone who's standing if you're, still, if you're still alive. One, two, three, shoot. Best two out of three. Oh, Jacob's still alive. That's good. Find someone maybe over here. What? All right. Everyone over here is eliminated. Aaron, are you still up? You're still good? All right, we got, you can come over here. We'll find someone. All right, we might be down to our last three people, which is pretty exciting. Aaron, you'll play the champ, the winner of this one. All right, Aaron versus Scott. Come, on, come up, come up here on stage. Come up here on stage. Yeah, we got to make sure the live stream is involved here. All right, so we we have Aaron, who you've seen up here on the keys. We've got Scott. You've seen him in the parking lot. Um, <laughs> Pick your champion. Who's cheering for Aaron? All right. Who's cheering for Scott? All right. All right. Let's go. We're going to do best of five. All right. Yep. Yep. Ty. Scott. Ty. Scott. Oh. Ty. Ty. Oh, Aaron, Aaron. Oh, Aaron. This is the game. Scott, here's your champion. Your rock, paper, scissors champion. Congratulations. Your reward is bragging rights until the next time I preach and I do something else. So congratulations. Everyone be sure to congratulate Scott later today. Uh, But youth ministry is full of fun. And at least I hope it is. I try to make it. But the reality is all of our discipleship should include some fun. It breaks the ice. It brings the opportunity to speak truth to one another. It connects us and grows our relationships together and with God. Amen? 
And today, uh, I've been, uh, I want to share a little bit about my call, about my history. I was a youth pastor for 10 years in the Palm Springs area. And uh, recently, in the past year, uh, just over a year ago, I moved to our district offices uh, of our denomination to oversee youth and children's ministries and communications throughout our district uh, in Southern California, Arizona, and New Mexico, covering about 100 churches. It's a big job. It's a big role. But uh, I love students. And I'm called to students. So when Pastor Kerry started talking to me about uh, potentially continuing in this role, in this opportunity to love the students of Awakening, it was hard to say no. And that's how you know it's a call. When you try to run away and it still pulls you back in. Let me pray for us and we'll jump into what we're talking about today in youth ministry. Father God, thank you so much for today. Thank you for the opportunity to share your truth, to be here with the people of Awakening and around the world online. Lord, I pray if you have something to say to us today, we're listening. Amen. It was eighth grade that I first felt called to youth ministry. And uh, you might say, what does that mean? What is, that, what is a call? A call to youth ministry, it's a stirring in your heart. And, and you might have a stirring to a different kind of ministry. Uh, maybe earlier in life, maybe later in life. Maybe right now you're wrestling with a call that the Lord has put on your heart where he's saying, I want you to serve in this area of ministry. For me, it was in eighth grade. I started feeling this call to youth ministry. You see, my family had lived in Wisconsin, and then we uh, abruptly moved to Nebraska when I was in sixth grade, and it was this really big disruption. And growing up as a pastor's kid, I knew all the right answers in grade school and, in, and kids' ministry and all those things. Um, but once I got to Nebraska, I was challenged to make my faith my own by our youth group, by our, my youth pastor. And as I started to embrace who Jesus is and was to me at the time, I felt more and more called, a desire to extend the ministry of which I received so much from. At the time, I thought it was just playing games with kids, right? You got to show up every week and you played games and then you'd have lock-ins. And I mean, what better life would there be than to just like hang out for the rest of my life, right? Thankfully, youth ministry is more than that. And it was something that resonated with me. There was a moment again, in eighth grade, that I had a dream. And in eighth grade, I was at a private Christian school at the time, but I had this dream that I was going to youth group. My youth group at the time was a pretty big group. It was 100-plus kids. We met at a gymnasium at a school. And uh, I remember in my dream, I walked into the gym of my youth group, and it's kind of weird because Everyone, they were having a good time, but there was kids like running on the walls, and there was like go-karts driving on the ceiling, and it, I just had this weird feeling in my spirit, in my dream, and I was in the middle of this gymnasium looking around, overwhelmed at the sight of all this, and in my dream coming to the realization that this was the work of a demonic power that allowed these kids to have fun in this way, and I didn't like that. And it started to make me anxious in my dream. The feelings and emotion were so real in those moments. And then in my dream, I called out, in the name of Jesus, stop! And I remember in my dream, everything else went dark around me except for a circle of light. And I woke up 
obviously incredibly scared and nervous and confused. And I ran to my dad and I said, I don't even know what just happened, but it was just so vivid, so real. And he was gracious and wise enough to pray with me and walk me through what it meant to have a calling like this. The message of that vision, that story, that call, that dream, is that all of us, but students in particular, are just interacting with this world, and they sometimes don't even have any idea what they're inviting into their lives. And we as adults do that too. We don't understand uh, what we interact with and what we take on to ourselves, but I knew that I needed to speak truth back into the world and into students. And Jesus was calling me to do that for young people. And so I made big life changes based on this call. I uh, left my uh, Christian, private Christian school of 200 kids to go to a public school of 2,000 to be able to experience what students would if I was going to minister to students in the future, I wanted to know what they were experiencing from a public school. That was a big change and an incredibly good change for me to be challenged in my faith, encouraged in my faith. And God gave me amazing youth pastors and workers and small group leaders and friends who loved Jesus along that path. I went to a Christian college for a youth ministry and Bible studies degree, double major thing, uh, and I... Graduated in 2012 and moved out here to California for free food and rent because that's what college graduates do, right? Yeah, she gets it. Um, And uh, I honestly wasn't even sure of this call anymore after going through all that training for youth ministry. I I didn't know if I really wanted to be this professional Christian anymore. So I tried to get away from this call again tried to pursue working in student development in a university. I loved my jobs in, in college and working with, high, with college students and, and loving on them, but God pulled me back into youth ministry. Started working part-time uh, as a youth worker at, at a local church that my dad was leading, and the rest is really history. The Lord re-energized my love for students and youth ministry while working there. And that role expanded to be an associate role at the church, and now you're all caught up, yada, 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 and you're all caught up, basically. So that's my call. That's my history, and I've had such an amazing opportunity to work with some amazing students and leaders and people over the years, and I have, God has taught me many, many things. I can say with almost 100% certainty that everyone in here cares about the next generation. You guys care about students and kids. And if you don't, you can talk to me after, and I'll tell you why you're wrong. But I know that it's also really scary to work with kids. Uh, Kids are scary, and sometimes kids are really mean, and they don't know what they're doing sometimes. But that is one of the beauties of youth ministry is that we get to be a part of the lives of these students. And, and, and we don't know what God's going to do with their life. That's so exciting to me as I think about our students, the students that I've led, even the students here that I've just been hanging out with for a few months. Man, God is going to do something great. And that's really exciting to look forward to the future 
of what the church is going to be, of what these students are going to be, what they're going to do in this world. And I hope that you're excited by the next generation too. I know sometimes it can feel really bleak or, or, or like, what's, what, what is our, this generation doing when we look at the news, when we look at Instagram or TikTok or YouTube or whatever? There's a lot of really dumb kids out there. But there's a lot of really good kids out there too. Good kids and students and people that want to make a difference. And just imagine if this generation caught the fire of Jesus. You'll have to uh, get used to my crying because when I talk about students, it just, I just feel the presence of the Lord and it overwhelms me because there's so much potential there for our students and the future. And I am so excited to see what God is going to do. But I also know that I can't do it on my own and they can't do it on their own. The church is an institution from God for a reason, and we have to do this together. Students and adults and elders, all of us together form the church and are going to work for the mission of God. So I want to share with you four verses that help define what youth ministry means to me, what it means to our students, and what it means for you and how you can help lead and guide our students. Sound good? All right, I won't cry the whole time, I promise. But um, you can enjoy my tears, and I hope they make you cry, because that's always my favorite thing, is when people are like, whenever you preach, you make me cry. I'm like, good, good, you need to cry. Everyone needs to cry a little bit. All right, 1 Timothy chapter 4. Turn with me here. This is the first verse that I want to start with, because it's it's a bedrock for me. And it's something that... uh, is hard for culture and for churches. Well, I don't have any slides. I wasn't prepared enough for that. But So you're going to have to turn your Bible, actually, um, and open up your Bible with me. But this is a, a verse that is impacting to me, and it, it changes, hopefully will change your perspective of how you interact with young people. Um, and, and if it doesn't, we'll talk. But First uh, Timothy chapter 4 I'll start in verse 11. Teach these things and insist that everyone learn them. Don't let anyone think less of you because you are young. Be an example to all believers in what you say, in the way you live, in your love, your faith, and your purity. Don't let anyone look down on you because you are young. Timothy was a young pastor that Paul left in Ephesus to preach the good news, to preach the gospel, to share the truth of Christ to a city that was incredibly misinformed. And he's writing here a word of encouragement to this young pastor, Timothy. Don't let anyone look down on you because you are young. But set an example to all believers in what you say, in the way you live, in your love, your faith, and your purity. It's a high call that I present to students in youth ministry because students are intelligent. They are capable. They are uh, uh, smart. They're clever. And history is full of amazing people who've done extraordinary things. I mean, even if you think about uh, the disciples, the apostles themselves were just teenagers as Jesus led them and taught them. And they took over this church. They started the church in their early 20s. 
Alexander the Great died at 32. I'm 33, and look at all that Alexander had done by, by the time he died, conquered half the world, most of the known world. Young people are an incredible force. And every time that you stand up and you make noise, remind yourself that young people don't do that, all right? When you do, young people don't do that. They can keep going, right? So why aren't we utilizing, why aren't we respecting our young people, inviting them? Are we looking down on the young people in our lives, disregarding their thoughts, emotions, concerns, and feelings? Gen Z and Alpha, Gen Alpha, the youngest of our uh, culture right now, they want to make a difference more than ever. They want to be a force of change in this world. And Jesus is the one who brings actual change to our lives, right? But the church hasn't embraced young people as activists, as evangelists, as apostles. The church wants them to wait their turn instead of releasing them to change this world. Just imagine if they actually embraced the message of the gospel in Jesus. And it's their church in the future is not going to look like our church. Let's let them make a difference in our churches and our communities. Someday they will be the ones with the keys to our churches. They'll be the ones leading our ministries and small groups and worship sets and all of these things. Are we inviting them into it now or are we making them wait? Are we looking down on them because of their age? They're going to get stuff wrong. I get it. But we need to invite them in. And this, for me, is, is so important to respect our young people as adults, as real people. And when we engage with them as real people, they're learning, they're growing, experience and wisdom will come. But when they feel like they are a part of the church in high school, in junior high, guess where they're going to stay when they become an adult? So many of our young people leave the church after youth group because they don't feel like they're a part of the church. They don't feel welcomed. They don't feel accepted or loved. They were always off in this youth ministry silo. Don't look down on them because they're young. <sighs> the future of the church is in their hands. And it is going to be different. They're going to find ways to worship and love God differently. The church is going to shift and change. They might not even have Sunday morning services the way we have for all of our lives. But that's okay. We need to trust and believe that the Lord is guiding them. And it's hard to trust a young person when they're leading change. But they are the future. And they are the leaders of today. That's what my... My, youth, my small group leader would always correct my uh, old youth pastor. He would say, you guys are the leaders of the church tomorrow. And my, my small group leader would say, no, they're the leaders of today. They're leaders right now. They're leading the change. And more than ever, culture is led and guided by young people. Have you heard how fast the slang shifts and changes? Even I can hardly keep up with all of the, all the new uh, language. I'm not even going to try to pretend to know it, but... So what does this mean for young people? If you're a young person listening to this, my word to you is to be bold, to pursue Jesus. And if Jesus has given you a passion and a vision for the future, pursue it. 
I'm not going to water down the Bible for you, but I am calling you to step up and be the person that God wants you to be. He has a high call and a high standard for all of us, and I want to support you, walk with you, encourage you to fulfill that call that God has on your life. And I hope that we as a church will come around you too as you step out in faith and say, I think I need to do this. I think God is saying this to me. We're here for you. We won't look down on you. Adults, what does this mean for you? Well, stop looking down on others. Don't look down on others. Uh, the Bible also tells us, consider uh, others as better than yourselves. Full stop. But especially people who are younger than you, it's really easy for our egos to get in the way, to think that we know better. And more often than not, we do, but that, does, that shouldn't affect how we listen, how we engage and converse with younger generations. Of course, sometimes our young people will fall and fail and take the wrong path, but we need to consider what we might learn from the younger generation, from those younger than us. They have a new perspective on the world, and the gospel does not change, but how we deliver the gospel to culture does. The gospel, the truth, the theology of Jesus doesn't change, but the philosophy of ministry does. All right, I'm going I'm to give you a little freebie. For like 100 years, the most important thing in the world was facts and truth. But at the turn of the century, facts started to stop mattering. You know, we had apologetics, and we had Billy Graham, and he did amazing things to speak the truth. We had door-to-door evangelism. When I was uh, in the early 2000s, I went to a conference called Dare to Share. We would go door-to-door to share the gospel. And that was really good because people, when they heard the truth, they believed it. That's not the case anymore. Truth was the engine to the train of thought for people for many years. It was truth, then experience, and then feelings as a caboose. And now it's all turned around. It's how people feel. It's what they experience. And then they will make the facts fit what they've experienced and what they feel. So what does that mean for us as a gospel movement, sharing, trying to share truth? We have to let people experience Jesus. One of the most amazing things that I've learned, especially about young people, but this is true of everyone in our culture now, is that they'll try on Jesus When we have guests here at Awakening, they'll try singing. They'll try raising their hands, even if they don't believe in Jesus. And if they like how that feels, if they like that experience, then they'll go to the truth. They'll discover the Bible. And that is a a, a crazy shift in culture that the church mostly has not learned yet. But our students experience that every day. So when we come to students with, here's the truth, they don't really care until they experience Jesus, when they feel the love and grace and mercy of Jesus. And that's one thing that we can learn from them because that is pervasive in culture now. Even uh, older generations are going more by experience and feelings than actual facts and truth. We know how rare it is to find genuine truth nowadays, right? So we need to find ways to connect so that people can hear the truth more than anything. And did you know that Gen Z is more likely than any other generation, uh, any other older generation than them, 
to engage in a spiritual conversation. We're scared of it. Even, even us millennials, even Gen X, boomers, everyone else, we're, we're really tepid at having spiritual conversations. But Gen Z is having these conversations all the time. They're discovering it. They're wrestling with it. They have deep thoughts and feelings and concerns. And so how can you help? You can treat them like a peer, and you can walk with them through these honest conversations about what they're wrestling with. Don't be afraid of them. They have deep thoughts and feelings and experiences that they're wrestling with, so don't dismiss their ideas and concerns, but love them. Pray with them. Pray for them. Even when you're away from them, pray by name for them and intercede for them. Don't look down on them because they're young, because they are the future. They're going to do something great, and and you never know what God is going to do through any one of them. All right. We got, oh, man, why does time go so fast? All right, Luke chapter 6. We're going to move on here. I uh, mentioned this one two weeks ago, but this is uh, another key verse for me. Luke chapter 6, verse 45 says this. A good person produces good things from the treasury of a good heart, and an evil person produces evil things from the treasury of an evil heart. What you say flows from what is in your heart. The reality is, you know, what we say, what we do, how we act comes from what we put into our hearts and into our lives. And out of the overflow of our hearts, so the mouth speaks, is what another translation says. So what are you putting into your heart? What are our students putting into their hearts? Whatever you put into your life is what you're going to get out of it. And for students... They're facing an ever-increasing onslaught of of things vying for their attention. TikTok and YouTube and Snapchat and Reddit and podcasts and Netflix and movies and books and music and beyond. Everything is is, is craving their attention. And what are they going to absorb? What are they going to take into their lives? Is Jesus a part of that even? Is Jesus a part of that for you? As with anything, there's good in those things. There are good books, and there's good YouTube channels, and there's good music, and good movies, and those things, but there's also bad in those things that we can get drawn into. So what do we teach our students from this verse? What we consume matters. It affects who we are and how you act. How do we teach them to be judgmental, be discerning of what they're engaging with and what they're bringing into their hearts and their lives and what's healthy for us? And that's true for us as adults, too. Are we intentionally in the Word of God every day? Are we praying? Are we engaging with our church family? Are we showing up to someone's house for dinner? That's a joke, but um, make sure to sign up for a guest who's coming to dinner today. It's your last chance. <clears throat> Or are we engaging only with the radio on the news and, and the whatever pops up in our news feeds and uh, letting that consume our hearts and our minds and our attention? Or are we letting the grace of God, the Spirit of God, the fruit of the Spirit pour out of our lives? Who is influencing you? Social media influencers are all over the place, and now uh, the real question is, who is influencing you? Is it Jesus? Is it your church family? 
Is it the Bible? I hope so. But what, but what comes out of your, our lives, of our mouths, is, what comes, is what's in our hearts. So we need to fill our hearts with good stuff. So how can you help students? Well, you can be aware of what students are consuming. And you can discuss it with them. Not just shut it down, but have a conversation with them. Talk to them through it. Help them critically think why this isn't a good choice. Not just saying no and banning it. There's an amazing website called axis.org. If you're a parent, I would highly recommend you go check it out, axis.org. And they have what they call the Culture Translator. It's a weekly email with just a few different topics that your students might be engaging with and teaches you some slang and some key words that they're using nowadays to help you stay hip on what's going on. They don't use the word hip anymore. Don't use that. But access.org and help them uh, make sure they're consuming and investing in the good things of life. I love that Paul, when he talks about the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians, says, against such things there is no law. The world needs more love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control. And against such things there is no law. What a beautiful thing. So let's fill ourselves with the Spirit so we can pour out the fruit of the Spirit as we go. All right, John chapter 10, verse 10. I know Pastor Kerry has uh, taught you this, but it is uh, a key verse for me as well. This is Jesus talking about how he is the good shepherd to his sheep. And in verse 10, he says, The thief's purpose, the enemy, Satan, is to steal, kill, and destroy. But my purpose, Jesus says, is to give them a rich and satisfying life, a full and abundant life, other translations would put it. And I love this verse because sometimes Christianity can be so complicated. And uh, our, our a denominational president, Dr. John Stombo, once said, the longer the word, the more complicated it is. Christ, Christian, Christianity, the longer it is, the more complicated it is. So let's shorten it down. Christ, that's what matters. That's what I want our students to walk away from youth group with. They can figure out all the theology and all the nitpicky things later, but as long as they know Jesus, that's a win. And this verse, to me, simplifies it so well. You have one choice in life. Pursue Jesus or not. Pursue life or death. And in reality, every choice we make is that choice. That's true for us as adults as well. You might be getting a theme here that what students learn also applies to us as adults. And so when Jesus says the thief has come only to steal, kill, and destroy, when we choose things that are not of Christ, that path only leads to death and destruction and the absence of that abundant life. But when we choose Jesus, abundant life, full life, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Does that sound familiar? Pursuing Jesus brings those through our lives. How many of us would love to be full of joy and love, and mercy, and grace. Those are the things of Jesus, and the more we pursue him, the easier it is for us to pour those things out into the world. And when we pour those things out into the world, abundant life, rich, satisfying life, a full life. And this verse, for me, helps work against the thought that our students might have that, well, Christianity is just a bunch of rules and regulations, 
No, I mean, it's, it's, one, it's one decision at a time. You're going to pursue Jesus. If you pursue Jesus, here's what you get. If you don't, here's what you get. It's as easy as that. So if you can, I like to simplify it for our students. I even say this. If you can get up each day and answer these questions, you'll live a full and abundant life. The questions, what is God saying to you, and what are you going to do about it? If you can wake up every day and answer those two questions, you will experience the full and abundant life that God has called you to. Of course, we're going to fall. We're going to fail. We're human. But every day, if you get back up on that horse, Proverbs tells us, though a righteous man falls seven times, he gets back up. That's our lives. That's us pursuing Jesus each and every day. You'll live a good and holy life if you answer those two questions. All right. Our last verse, Romans chapter 8. And this is an important one. Maybe the most important one. Chapter 8, verse 1, a famous verse, but one that I once stated nonetheless. So now there is no condemnation for those who belong in Christ Jesus. I hope I don't have to say too much more about that, right? There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For our students, we need to give them grace, more and more grace than you can ever think to give. They are learning. They are growing in every experience they have is the first time they've experienced something. It's really easy for us to dismiss the first heartbreak because we've had our heart broken time and time again. But that first one, it feels like the world is ending. If you think back and remember your first time failing a major test or quiz or, or having an argument with your friend, those were hard moments. And our students need grace. And when they fall and when they fail, the grace of Jesus should be abundantly given to them. Students will mess up. It's part of their journey. It was part of your journey. It is still part of your journey because none of us are perfect. When they mess up, what will they experience from you? Will they experience the harsh judgment that the world tells them to expect from the church and the church body? Or will they feel the love of Jesus through your embrace just like the woman caught in adultery. I hope that they'll feel grace from you. I hope that they feel grace from me as I lead a youth group. What does it mean for our students? Well, we all need the radical grace of Jesus because none of us are perfect. None of us will be perfect. And so why are we pretending like we have it all together? None of us do. We're all in this journey together. It's so easy for us to try to put on a facade like we have it all, all going well, especially when we get together here at church. We don't want to let our guard down and think that we, we, we need help or anything. We all need help. We all need a little bit of love and prayer and, and support from one another. That's why we're here together. We're learning together as a body of believers, and I want our students to experience church like that, where they can be themselves where they can be loved even when they fall. And I hope that you feel like you can be yourself and you are loved here at Awakening even when you fall.
The mission of awakening is not to be perfect. It's to awaken people to be fully alive to Christ and to his mission. We want to be pursuing Jesus together. We're going to stumble. We're going to get off course. But we're doing this together, focusing on Jesus. I would much rather be accused of having too much grace to someone than harshly judge someone and turn them off to the point that they might miss Jesus. Jesus is what matters more than anything. And in youth ministry, that's more important than ever. Proverbs tells us to train up a child in the way they should go and they will not depart from it. I don't need them to have perfect theology or even decent theology. I just need them to know Jesus. And I hope that that's all you feel that you need to because he is all that you need. So when people mess up, when they have something wrong, be gracious to them. What does it mean to you? Well, be gracious to one another, to everyone in your life. Be merciful. Be gentle. Allow the fruit of the Spirit to flow through you. If you're not experiencing the fruit of the Spirit, you are not in step with the Spirit. Sometimes we get really impressed and amazed by people with a gift of prophecy or, or teaching or preaching or a gift of healing or whatever it is. Gifts of the Spirit are not the mark of a true and mature Christian. The fruit of the Spirit is. Even Jesus had, had tells the story of people at the great uh, judgment. And they say, Lord, we cast out demons in your name. We heal people in your name. And he says, depart from me. I never knew you. There's power in the name of Jesus. There's power in the gift of Jesus. But if you aren't loving, if you aren't pouring out grace and mercy and truth to everyone around you, if you aren't being kind and gracious and self-controlled, you are not living the life, the full and abundant life that Jesus asked you to live. And you might not have expected that harsh of a, of a statement here when, when pastor, youth pastor comes up on stage, but I speak truth, okay? And so I, this, is, this is for me so important that we are gracious, that we pray for them, that we love them through their trials and their difficulties. You know, more than ever, our culture knows that they are messed up. More than ever, our culture knows that they're broken, that they're hurting. They're so aware of their hurtedness. And our students need to know Jesus as a healer right now before they understand him as a savior. I shared with you that train of thought here. The facts don't really matter. They're the caboose now. But when someone feels the healing power and presence of Jesus, man, that is going to change their life. So are you there ready to be open arms, the loving arms of Jesus to someone who needs the grace of Jesus? Or are we going to stand to the side and look down on them and say, you have to fit my definition of what a Christian is before you join our little group? No. We need to be welcoming, allow them to belong before we expect them to believe. And they need to know Jesus as a healer. And I'm so grateful that Awakening does this well. We pray for people. We invite people. We listen to people. We, uh, Pastor Carrie and Pastor Trey do an amazing job of, of leading that charge, of allowing people to be healed and experience Jesus. 
You see, you get to represent the good news of Jesus. You can represent the love and grace and mercy of God that's already been extended to you. Again, none of us are perfect. We've all been forgiven. We all fall short of the glory of God. And if you know a student or young person that is struggling, hurting, if you know of anyone that is struggling or hurting or seeking comfort or answers outside of Jesus, extend the grace of God to them. Be their friend. Be their neighbor before you speak truth into their life. Love them without judgment and see what God will do in their life through your witness. Not your words, but your actions. To love them, to be friends with them, to remember that they're human just like you. Grace is so important. Consistency is so important. I want to share with you. You know, you may be sitting here. I'm gonna. Uh, you may be sitting here thinking, "Well, this is really good, Michael. But you've done this for ten years. Of course, you know all these things. You know how to how to love, how to pour out grace to students. And and that sounds what you just talked about for the past thirty minutes. That sounds really complicated. I can't do that, but you can. Anyone can work in youth ministry and kids ministry. It's it's not actually as hard and complicated as this sounds because. The reality, here's, here's my youth ministry math. Loving adults plus students plus Jesus equals good things. That's my youth ministry math. If you show up and you love a student each and every week, good things will happen in the name of Jesus. And that's basically all that our students need nowadays is people to care, people to love. And you can do that. When I was in high school, my small group leader, his name was Scott Holmes, and uh, he had probably one of the most profound effects on my life and my spiritual life uh, as, as an adult, as a 40-something-year-old, just loving these dumb little kids, this group of boys. Um, and it wasn't that he was so learned in the Bible, he knew what he was talking about. It wasn't that he, was, he, he spoke the truth, and, and, but it was, he was there. He cared. He invited us into his home. He was with us on, on winter camps and trips and missions trips. He showed up, and he loved, and he would you know, take us to lunch and, and do these things just to, just to be with us. And in those moments, he would speak truth and the love of Jesus to us. He would say, Michael, Jesus is the most important thing. Make sure you have people who love Jesus around you to hold you accountable. For years, decades, I did not know what this man did for a living. You can laugh at that. Literally, like 20 years until I preached a sermon kind of like this. My parents came up to me afterward and like, here's what he did. You're dumb. And then I was like, yes, thank you for your grace. But he just worked for the state, state health department or something like that. I don't even know anymore. Um, I was told once, but I don't even remember now. It, he wasn't particularly cool. He didn't know all the slang. He didn't play the games that we played, but he was there. And he loved us. So who's a young person in your life that you can love? Maybe that is your own kids, your own students. Maybe that is someone here. Maybe it's being a part of the youth group or the part of the children's ministry here. 
you don't have to have it all figured out. You don't have to do it alone. You can join the team. You can join the youth men team, and I'll teach you how to love a student, how to be gracious to a student. But I think that the Lord might be tapping on your heart, some of your hearts right now, calling you to serve in a new way, to be involved in a new way. And I want to encourage you not to dismiss those feelings right now just from an impassioned speech, but to wrestle with them, to pray about them, to ask God to uh, give you wisdom and guidance about what to do. Maybe, maybe it is a calling just to be praying for the youth of our, of our church. Maybe it's a calling to be involved in some way, shape, or form with our weekly services. If you are interested in joining uh, the youth ministry team as we, as we kind of take a little break this summer, but we're going to have a, a leaders get together, open house on July 19th. You can ask me about that. I'll give you more information about that. But all of this is so important because we all, this, these things are true for all of us. We need to be respectful and kind to those around us. We need to be gracious and loving. We need all of these things that we pour out to students are true for us as adults. And the reality is that, that God has given us all of these things that we are pouring out to others. You know, this week we celebrate the, the independence that we have in our country, but I'm sure you've heard the sermon before that Jesus is the one who gives us true freedom. Amen? And we get to celebrate that today through communion. I love communion. And I love the opportunity to participate with communion because it connects not just us as a church family. It connects us as a church globally. There are very few things that we do across the board. But every church in America that believes in Jesus partakes in communion. And it's a beautiful picture. We sit together through this action through this reminder of what Christ has done with us. We participate in communion with the church down the street, the church on the other side of the country, and the church on the other side of the world, and the church over the past 2,000 years. When we take communion together, we're a part of that last supper that Jesus broke bread and drank and ate with his disciples. We remember the grace and mercy and gifts of the spirit that God has given us. So Paul, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, tells us this about communion. He says, what does he say? No, he says it on this page. For I pass unto you what I received from the Lord himself. On the night that he was betrayed, the Lord took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. And then he broke it into pieces and said, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant between God and his people, and an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you're announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. To participate in communion today, you don't have to be a member of Awakening. You just have to know Jesus. If you believe he is your Savior, he is your Lord, you get to join us. So as we can peel open your little 
piece of bread here to your little wafer. Paul also says that anyone who eats of the bread or drinks of the cup in an unworthy manner is guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. That is why you should examine yourself before eating the bread and drinking the cup. Before we take partake together, I want you to take the moment and ask the Lord, Lord, is there anything that I need to confess? And if there is anything, confess it. Make yourself right. I've always viewed communion as an opportunity to push the reset button on my relationship with Jesus. His forgiveness is abundant and free. And so join me in prayer. Father God, we come before you now and ask if there's anything that we need to ask for forgiveness of you. And as these things come to our mind, Lord, as your spirit convicts us, we ask for your forgiveness. We thank you for the grace and mercy and love that you pour out. We thank you for your body that was broken on our behalf, that we might be healed and forgiven. Amen. Let's partake together. In the same way, the cup is a vision of God's grace and redemption, a reminder of his blood that was shed on our behalf, his death that we don't have to experience. Father God, we thank you again for your sacrifice on the cross, the work that you did to be the full and complete sacrifice on our behalf. You died so that we don't have to. By your wounds, we are healed, Lord. We remember what you have done for us. We thank you and praise you in your precious and holy name. Let's partake together. As you consider the world that we're in, the future that we want to see, how are you connecting, embracing, empowering the next generation to love Jesus and bring his message and his kingdom to the forefront of this world? I know that you care. I know that you love. So what can you do? You can pray. You can be involved. You can support. You can bring us brownies. Uh, there's all kinds of ways that you can love students. And I hope that you will join me as we love the students of Awakening. Father God, again, I thank you so much for today, for this morning, for the opportunity to speak the truth of your word here with your family. I pray that we would all be gracious and kind and considerate and thinking of others as better than ourselves in each and every day of our, of our walk. And I pray, Lord, that your spirit would fill us, and we'd be filled with your fruits and pouring out the love and grace and truth of who you are each and every day. In your name, amen.
generations and your family and your children and their children and their children may his favor be upon you and a thousand generations and your family and your children and their children and their children may his favor be upon you and a thousand generations and your family and your children and their children and their children may his favor be upon you and a thousand generations and your family and your children and their children and their children may his presence go before you and behind you and beside you all around you and within you he is with you he is with you in the morning in the evening and you're coming and you're going and you're weeping and rejoicing he is for excited about what's going to happen in our youth group with him at the lead. I think that'll be great. Make sure on your way out that you say hi to him, get to know him a little bit. It's a great time to do that. And I'll leave you with this blessing. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May he give you peace, perfect peace. Go in that peace. Oh